welcome Pilates Elephants Stratosphere. Great to be here with you again. I'm going to do a short episode today. I'm going to experiment with a few of these over the coming weeks. Let me know what you think. My uh, Instagram profile's in the show notes. You can DM me. Love to know how this lands for you. All right, so what I want to talk about today is pelvic organ prolapse, and specifically the case for being a movement optimist about pelvic organ prolapse. So why we should default to assuming that for women with pelvic organ prolapse, Pilates in particular is safe and beneficial and uh, we don't need to do special exercises. All right, so I think, uh, you know, to, to start to think about this, the, the, uh, where I want to um, begin is that pelvic organ prolapse and the research on pelvic organ prolapse is a very complex um, mess, basically, or not mess, uh, it's a very complex field, and we understand very little about the relationship between exercise and pelvic organ prolapse. Now, I guess I should probably even go back a step and, and define what I mean by pelvic organ prolapse, and that is where um, one or more of the pelvic organs, so typically the uterus, uh, but sometimes the bladder, sometimes the large intestine, uh, you know, prolapses, uh, which means to basically when when an organ uh, you know, moves out of position. So it's te- typically, the, I think the most common variation is where the uterus descends through the cervix into the vagina and uh, can ex- uh, even uh, protrude beyond you know the outer. Uh, part of the vagina, so that's in my, in very extreme cases. But it can be it can be the bladder, it can be the uterus, um, and it's uh, basically the the ligaments that hold these structures in place uh, can become lax for various reasons, uh, not fully understood, um, and the organs can descend. All right, and so uh, the symptoms are women can feel a uh, sense of pressure, um, discomfort. Um, and obviously a lot of worry about this condition. All right, so that's the basic situation. It is more common in women who have had more pregnancies, uh, and uh, it is uh, also likely more common in women who are obese and also probably in women who have uh, hypermobility. Um, because it is related to laxity of ligaments. All right, so there is, you know, genetic predisposing factors. There are lifestyle predisposing factors, and the question is, what is the relationship between exercise and pelvic organ prolapse? So, does exercise make it worse? Does it make it better? Does exercise have no effect? Uh, and if so, you know, which specific forms of exercise? And so, TLDR, too long didn't read. Uh, the jury's still out on that. Very, very out. Uh, there was a 2023 narrative review, and I've got it here in front of me. It is by Kari Bo et al. Uh, in the International Urogynecology Journal from uh, January 2023. Uh, and what are they, you know, they did a... a, a narrative scoping review, they looked at, uh, I think how many, eight prevalence studies. Um, They found that prevalence rates of symptomatic pelvic organ prolapse vary between zero 
and 23%. That was Olympic weightlifters and powerlifters. Um, and parity, that is the number of pregnancies a woman's had, was the only factor associated with pelvic organ prolapse in most studies. So it wasn't the sport or how much they did the sport. So they looked at women who did different sports and they found that parity was the main thing, except in a couple. Uh, three studies evaluated the pelvic floor. I'm just I'm quoting here from uh, this research paper, which I'll link to in the show notes. Three studies evaluated the pelvic floor after a single exercise or one session of exercise and found increased vaginal descent or increased pelvic organ prolapse symptoms after exercise. One prospective cohort study reported development of pelvic organ prolapse after six weeks of military parachute training. And one randomized controlled trial reported increased pelvic organ prolapse symptoms after transversus abdominis training. There is scant knowledge, quote, there is scant knowledge on exercise and pelvic organ prolapse in the postpartum period, end quote. Uh, conclusions, the prevalence of pelvic organ prolapse in sports varies widely. Um, experimental and prospective studies indicate that strenuous exercise increases pelvic organ prolapse symptoms and reduces pelvic floor support. So uh, what they found in this review was that, uh, indeed that, so the sports that they found that increased pelvic organ prolapse incidents were parachute training in the military, marathon running, Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting, all of those were associated with more uh, or higher incidence of POP and increased symptoms of POP. POP is pelvic organ prolapse. Uh, whereas CrossFit was associated with less pelvic organ prolapse uh, than in the general population. And uh, in the one study in this narrative review that looked at weight training and they looked at people who did no weight training and then people who lifted light weights and people who lifted heavy weights, uh, what they found was the heavier weights people actually had less pelvic organ prolapse than the lightweight lifting people, and the lightweight lifting people had less pelvic organ prolapse than the sedentary people, which is the opposite of what the Olympic lifting studies showed. Now, these all of these studies are, except for the parachute study, are what's called observational studies. So they, they just looked at people who did these things, did these activities like weightlifting or CrossFit or, or whatever, and then asked them on a survey about their pelvic organ prolapse. And so what they, what they found in these studies was an association, right? So in the Olympic weightlifting study, they found that people who do Olympic weightlifting have a much higher prevalence of pelvic organ prolapse than women who don't do Olympic weightlifting. What they found in in this like gym weightlifting study was that women who do who lift heavy weights in the gym actually have less pelvic organ prolapse than women who lift lighter weights in the gym. But that doesn't tell us that lifting heavier weights reduces pelvic organ prolapse. It might be the case that people who have pelvic organ prolapse choose not to lift heavy weights. So it might be that we see the highest incidence of pelvic organ prolapse amongst people who are sedentary because people with pelvic organ prolapse choose not to exercise because they're worried about worsening their symptoms, right? So those studies, observational studies, and and the same goes for Olympic weightlifting, right? It might be selection bias that we're seeing, which is basically people choose to do the activity, okay, after they have the pelvic organ prolapse rather than vice versa, although I think that's unlikely with Olympic weightlifting. Uh, so, and we do have one prospective study, which means they 
this was the parachute study of women in the military who went on a parachute course, a six-week parachute course. So I can only imagine, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not in the military, never have been, but I, um, I guess it's pretty darn strenuous doing parachute training. Okay, you're literally jumping out of planes, so there's a lot of landing forces involved. You'll be practicing jumping, jumping off towers and things, I imagine. Uh, plus, I imagine there will be some fairly strenuous strengthening work in that program as well, probably a lot of running uh, in it as well. So uh, all of which have been shown to have an association with increased pelvic organ prolapse. So this was a study where it was a prospective study. So they, they gave the women surveys about their, you know, do you have pelvic organ prolapse, yes or no? And if so, tell us about your symptoms. Uh, beforehand, then they did the training and then they measured it afterward. They gave them the same survey again afterwards. And what they found was there was an increased number of women who had pelvic organ prolapse and an increased symptoms in the women who had it already. So that does show likely causation where the parachute training seems to exacerbate or even cause uh, pelvic organ prolapse in some women. So it does seem likely, you know, given this, that that some forms of strenuous exercise may cause pelvic or worse than pelvic organ prolapse. However, that is literally only one prospective study. So it's a very, very uh, tiny evidence base from which to draw <laughs> conclusions. Uh, and we do have uh, observational studies showing the reverse. You know, CrossFit athletes, which is very strenuous, have less pelvic organ prolapse, and people who lift heavy weights in the gym have less pelvic organ prolapse. So, uh, you know, does strenuous exercise cause pelvic organ prolapse? I would say the current evidence, although conflicted and uh, of poor quality, it being that it's all observational, uh, and being that it's a very small literature as well, uh, with all that bearing in mind, I'd say, yeah, probably, is, yeah, probably uh, strenuous exercise, as in lifting very heavy weights, marathon running, and parachute training. Okay, when I say very heavy weights, I mean like close to your absolute maximum one repetition maximum weight, like Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, you're lifting literally your one repetition maximum, so 100% of your capacity, uh, and parachute training. So these are all pretty extreme forms of training. Uh, whereas lighter exercise... So just people doing, say, yoga classes or, uh, you know, walking, um, uh, you know, lifting weights at the gym and so forth doesn't seem to increase pelvic organ prolapse. So there is no, no documented association between those things and pelvic organ prolapse. Uh, so, you know, given that in Pilates, we're not jumping out of aeroplanes, we're not doing one repetition maximal efforts, we're much more doing light uh, resistance training and stretching. Uh, there is, there are, according to this narrative review from 2023, uh, no studies documenting an association between that level of activity and pelvic organ prolapse. However, there is one prospective study on transversus abdominis training. So this was a study, an intervention with women who had pre-existing pelvic organ prolapse and they had two arms in this study and they gave one group of women pelvic floor training, which by the way, does have good evidence showing that it helps pelvic organ prolapse. Uh, and the other group got the pelvic floor training plus transversus abdominis training. 
And the theory was that the transverse abdominis training would facilitate a greater pelvic floor contraction because of the co-contraction of transversus and pelvic floor. What they found was the pelvic floor training group improved their pelvic organ prolapse, so the, the, the organs ascended, they lifted uh, a few millimetres, whereas in the transversus plus pelvic floor training group, they actually got worse, so the organs descended further. Uh, and so what this tends to suggest, like it's a prospective intervention study, so it does show, can show causation. What this suggests is that the transverse abdominis training is not helpful or in fact is harmful for women with pelvic organ prolapse. So don't cue transversus abdominis for women with pelvic organ prolapse because it may well increase their uh, symptoms of prolapse. Uh, and the reason for that you know, may be, you know, the hypothesis as to why that is the case is because as you contract your transverse abdominis, it increases pressure inside the abdomen. abdomen. So your transverse abdominis compresses the abdomen. Okay, When you compress the abdomen, imagine you're squeezing a balloon, you increase the pressure inside the balloon. And so the pressure then tries to go somewhere and goes up and down. So if you squeeze the middle of a balloon, the two ends bulge upwards and downwards. And think about that bottom end being, say, the uterus being pushed down into the vagina. So that is the hypothesis as to why transverse abdominis training might or seems to increase symptoms of pelvic organ prolapse. So by that logic, then, we should probably uh, avoid things that cause a significant increase in intra-abdominal pressure. And when we think about it, Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, both in, you know, involve very significant increases in intra-abdominal pressure, pressure inside the abdomen. So that could be the common mechanism of those three forms of exercise, transverse abdominis training, Olympic lifting, powerlifting, that causes uh, increased symptoms of pelvic organ prolapse. So what can we do should we get to keep people safe in Pilates? Well, don't cue transversus abdominis. Um, but there's not a good case for doing for avoiding any form of exercise, apart from cueing transverse abdominis, parachute jumping, Olympic lifting and powerlifting, uh, or marathon running, uh, none of which, uh, except for the transverse abdominis, I'm going to assume you're doing in your Pilates class. Uh, we don't need to avoid abdominal exercises like crunches because uh, contrary to popular <laughs> belief, actually, um, research has shown that during uh, a sequence of abdominal curls, actually intra-abdominal pressure decreases. I know, weird. That's not what I would have thought, <laughs> just thinking about the biomechanics, but somehow that is what has, seems to be the case, and I'll link to the study showing that uh, in the show notes. Uh, and plus, there are you know a whole bunch of other exercises that physical therapists typically prescribe for women with uh, pelvic organ prolapse that are considered the, quote, safe versions of exercises, um, which, uh, and there was a study on those recently called, um, and this was by Tanya Tian uh, et al. in the International Urogynecology Journal uh, from 2017. And the name of this study was called Assessing Exercises Recommended for Women at Risk of Pelvic Floor Disorders Using Multivariate Statistical Techniques. Sounds kind of dry, okay? <laughs> but I'm just going to read you the, in, the introduction and hypothesis. Uh, quote, 
There is a widely held but untested belief that certain exercises and activities generate intra-abdominal pressure that may compromise the function of the pelvic floor muscles. Women with or at risk of pelvic floor disorders are advised, therefore, to refrain from these exercises and activities in order to theoretically protect their pelvic floor. The aim of this study was to compare the intra-abdominal pressures generated during exercises of different types that are recommended to women as pelvic floor, quote, safe, unquote, with those generated during the corresponding conventional exercises that women are typically cautioned against. Conclusions. No difference in intra-abdominal pressures were found between the recommended and discouraged versions of the same exercises for all exercise types. In particular, the intra-abdominal pressures generated during the two versions of ball rotations, lunges, core, push-ups and squats did not differ significantly, performing the recommended pelvic floor, quote, safe, unquote, version instead of the discouraged conventional version of these exercises may not necessarily protect the pelvic floor and vice versa, end quote. All right, so... uh, you know, all taken with all, you know, uh, we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> People who tell you uh, it's dangerous to do this, that, or the other exercise, um, or, you know, to not cue a certain thing, you know, not cue breathing a certain way, or not cue something with your pelvic floor, or not cue transverse abdominis don't know what they're talking about because it's either the case that we have zero evidence that any of these things make any difference, like in the study I just quoted for you, or that in fact, cueing cueing transversus abdominis makes symptoms worse of pelvic organ prolapse. Uh, Now, asterisk, you know, I did mention at the start that we should probably uh, avoid marathon running, Olympic lifting, powerlifting, and uh, parachute training if it is our goal to reduce pelvic organ prolapse. Right now, I'm going to put a double asterisk on that though, because just say you're a woman who has pelvic organ prolapse and you're an elite lifter or lifting is very, very important to you. Well, that then becomes a more nuanced conversation about what are the relative risks and rewards of continuing that activity and could there be some way of modifying that that would get you you know, able, make you able to continue the activity given that it's important to you, right? So I'll, I'll put that discussion aside for another time. But, you know, those people aside, Olympic lifters, powerlifters, parachute trainers, and marathon runners aside, uh, it's all good, people. Just don't cue, pelv- don't cue transversus abdominis. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't be training these women on their pelvic floor. They should be seeing a pelvic health physiotherapist for that. Uh, but in Pilates class, there is very unlikely to be anything that you could do aside from Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, marathon running, or parachute jumping, or cueing transversus abdominis that would result in any worsening of these people's symptoms. Uh, now, so I, I guess I just want to leave it there, uh, and I just want to finish up with saying that the, I think there are essentially two reasons why we should uh, default to movement optimism, that is the ex- expectation that movement is safe and beneficial for people with pelvic organ prolapse. The first one is what's called the null hypothesis, and that is a, just a standard thing in science that you learn on sort of day one of your sort of science degree. Um, which is that 
we should assume something doesn't work until you know before we assume it does work or put another way extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence um so we have a mountain a literal mountain like if we piled up the studies uh, showing exercise is safe and beneficial for a huge number of conditions that would form a literal mountain um this should be our default our default position should be to expect that exercise is safe and beneficial for any given condition until proven otherwise. So I think the onus of proof, you know, given the null hypothesis, given the massive weight of evidence that we have on the benefits and safety of exercise for a broad range of conditions, we should start with the default position that exercise is safe and beneficial until proven otherwise. And the onus it should be on people claiming that exercise is unsafe to prove their claims. The onus should not be on people saying exercise is safe. We've already got 50,000 studies showing exercise is safe for a very wide range of conditions. Now, there are some very specific circumstances where certain exercises are contraindicated. For example, probably powerlifting or parachute jumping if you don't want to worsen pelvic organ prolapse symptoms. So it's not the case that exercise is always completely without side effects, but it should be our default position because the number of situations in which exercise is without side effects that are harmful vastly outnumbers the other. The second thing is that the fear of exercise can itself cause harm. When people avoid exercise, that can literally exacerbate pain and disability. So avoiding exercise because of fear can literally make the pain worse, can make disability worse, plus all the negative sequelae or or consequences of a sedentary lifestyle. Like exercise is the closest thing we have to an elixir of youth and life, and people avoiding exercise because of fear, you know, can opens them up to all those risks of things like heart disease, stroke, cognitive decline, depression, anxiety, weight gain, poor physical functioning, chronic pain, fatigue, sleep disorders, like all of these things are responsive responsive to exercise. And so the absence of exercise opens us up to increased risk for all of these things. Other things, cancers, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, yeah, uh, neurodegenerative disorders, all of these, you know, all of these things are, are either, you know, um, reduced, have reduced risk or, or increased uh, survival due to exercise. So it's a very serious thing to discourage someone from exercising. Uh, and I think we should, the onus of proof should be on the person doing the discouraging rather than the person doing the encouraging. All right, team, I'm going to leave you there. I think uh, for women with pelvic organ prolapse, uh, as long as you're not doing parachute jumps, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting uh, in your class, you're pretty safe. The one modification I would say is don't cue transversus abdominis. But apart from that, assume everything is safe, including curl-ups, including squats, including push-ups, including lunges. You don't need to do special breathing, special contractions, special relaxations or special cues. Just get them moving. Plus, they should be seeing a women's health physio uh, in addition to doing their Pilates with you. All right, over and out, and I'll catch you on the flip side. 
after two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.